Welcome to Switched On with Paul Moderman and James Wood. Strap in for great chats with super smart people on SAP solutions, Microsoft Azure cloud development, and everything in between. Welcome back to Switched On with Paul Moderman and James Wood. I am, of course, the aforementioned Paul Moderman. And with me, as always, every time I can't escape him, is uh, James Wood. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing like, I'm tired. But you know what I have beside me is I literally have a bag of red vines beside me right now. The superior licorice for anyone who's serious about licorice, who knows that red vines are superior to Twizzlers in every single way. So that's what I have. And that's keeping me going. I'm sure like 530 tonight, I'll just like collapse on my floor and (laughs) die or pass out at least. But that's, that's what I got going for me today. We are diving into the latest iteration of Microsoft Ignite, where there was just a ton of things announced and gone through and talked about and and all these kinds of things. And with that, we have a very, very special guest. And, you know, James, I've said this every time, like our past guests have been amazing for sure, like no doubt, but they pale in comparison. They are the moon to the sun that we are about to encounter here. So without further ado, I would like to warmly, warmly welcome Lori back to our podcast. Lori, it's great to see you and hear your voice. You too. What we do before we get out of the gate and talk about nerdy things is we give our esteemed guests the chance to introduce themselves, to talk about, you know, how'd you get where you're going? How'd you get how'd you get started in tech or whatever you're doing? And what's the story of Lori? So give us the story of Lori. And take as long story as you want. Lori. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can start with the the technological nerdy stuff, or I can go back to the actual <laughs> Do the do the do it the fun way. The fun way. Whatever wow. the fun way is, do that. Many years ago, I graduated with a degree in theater from the mm-hmm. Boston Conservatory, and mm-hmm. that worked out. Actually, there was you know there was always things to do. It just didn't always pay the rent. At some point along the line, I discovered I had a bizarre affinity for databases and things like that. And uh-huh. then somebody asked me at some point. I was probably temping. And said, "Hey, can you make a web page?" And I'm like, "Sure, I can do that." <laughs> Yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> and that was kind of the slippery slope. I just took a detour and I've been a developer in the Microsoft world since about 2000, maybe a little before that, but okay. technically 2000. And so I've seen everything from, you know, classic ESP into .NET and all the whole process. Mm. Was introduced to CRM Dynamics in 2013-ish and mm. have been pretty well focused in that area ever since. So I have seen that de- evolve and develop as well. And that's it's been a, a very interesting journey. I live about 40 miles south of Boston with husband and daughter and cat who is currently sleeping on my laptop. <laughs> cat is very small. Right. <laughs> or the laptop is huge either way. But right? if yeah. you suddenly see like a Halloween black cat in, your, in, in the camera, you'll know why. 2016, I went a little bit back to my roots and I founded a nonprofit theater company called Roundabout Productions. So mm. I am the chief cook and bottle washer there. 
and we're currently in rehearsal for our sixth production of A Christmas Carol, which hey. is on December 17th. Lori, so that's me. <laughs> that's so that's a, that's amazing in a lot of ways. I'm going to. I'm going to shine the spotlight back on myself for a second here because, because it's incredible because you have a degree in theater and I have a degree in theater. Although my degree is like the wimpy, like you just need to graduate. So cobble things together <laughs> degree in theater. Cause I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. But, but so not, but not only that, but also I got into programming via database stuff too. I found I had a yeah. knack for that. My first, my first job that I used to like pay the rent when I dropped out of school for a while and I had to pay rent. I was I was a, a worker at a healthcare company for like folks who have disabilities and things like that who, yep. who live in their own homes. And I worked there and I did I cared for those folks. But then for some reason I found myself in the in the home office of that place. And some guy was like, hey, you did pretty good on this aptitude thing we give our employees. Can you help us figure out how to do this report thing? And I, yeah. all of 20 years old, was like, okay. Absolutely. I sure can. <laughs> yeah. And then the first thing I was like, what is Microsoft Access, right? What is SQL? Exactly. Like, that's, exactly yeah. the same thing. <laughs> yes. The whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> and like, of course. Wow, this is better than waiting tables. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, just like you ever since, like I haven't shook it. And the same. Yeah. That's yeah. so that's, that's really cool. And I mean, of course, the, of course, the nonprofit theater that you work at is, is cool as well and, and founded. That's amazing stuff. And for the listeners at home, Lori and I have discussed several times the very various war stories of theater happenings <laughs> and good and bad things that have gone on. We could we could do Lori, we could do a separate episode just yeah, we could. We like could. we could fill tons of episodes, I'm sure, with <laughs> stories of all that kind of crazy stuff. But that's not what we're here to do. No. We're here to talk about boring enterprise crap. So let's talk about some boring enterprise crap. So because at Ignite, you just get hit with like this monster slam of like a million things. So what we've done is we've kind of combed through the various announcements and kind of homed in on like four or five different things that kind of highlight and kind of kind of hit on what we go through and what we work with here at Bodark. And so we're going to kind of work through those topics here on this podcast. And first up on this list is for us to think about, talk through, there's been, there were several pieces of power apps, changes, upgrades, shifts and turns and stuff in this whole, in this whole deal. And one of them was some, some tweaks and a new pay-as-you-go plan. So James, my first, my first sort of question to you is, what's the change in the equation here with pay-as-you-go in the power app space? Well, I, I think it, it it opens a lot of new doors for customers that that find themselves in that place where, you know, let, let's rewind the clock 12, 24 months, you know, mm-hmm. they, they start to learn what Power Apps is. And then maybe along the way, they discover that, hey, I've got this, you know, at the time, Office 365, you know, what's now known as the Microsoft 365 license. Sounds like I get a little bit of power apps with that. And and there's, you know, maybe some things that that we can do there. And you know, I, I think in a lot of cases, particularly on the the boring enterprise <laughs> side of this, <laughs> is you you quickly discover that, that that license doesn't really apply there. You know, you can yeah. 
it, it was really intended to be kind of an extension of Microsoft 365. So building apps on top of things like SharePoint and Excel and you know those kinds of things, as opposed to maybe building a more elaborate enterprise mashup with like Salesforce and DocuSign or right. Dynamics or, or SAP or whatever. And so anyway, fast forward to today and, you know, this pay as you go licensing model, it's, it's an opportunity to get into low code with, you know, an ever growing power platform yeah. space at, ever, at a pace that's growing. comfortable. Yeah. You know, so like, I, I don't have to say, all right, I've got, you know, let's say I'm building a, you know, employee leave request app and I've got a large number of employees and I don't want to have to go license each and every one of those because I, you know, I want to connect it to my HR system. And yeah. so it has this premium license, you know, with the pay as you go model, it's essentially for the users that are actually using it month over month. If they touch the app, cash register rings, you know, and, and the license right. kicks in. If they don't touch it for months at a time, then you're not paying that, not that, paying that. that cost. So it's, in many ways, you know, we'll kind of keep hitting on this, the whole theme of the conference. But I mean, it, it is a game changer in that space, I think. Yeah. You do have to pay for the Azure subscription though, right? Because all of that is hooked up to your subscription. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they're, you know, <laughs> I guess the, the fine print as you get into all this stuff, <laughs> for sure. But I mean, it, it, it brings it in at a lower price point mm-hmm. and you only, you know, it's more of a consumption-based pricing model, which yeah. I, I think has been a big ask from customers that yeah. you know, product aside, you know, that they're kind of in the early stages of, you know, what does this low code citizen development thing look like for us? And I, the, I don't want to just pay, you know, <laughs> acquire all these licenses, not use them and not, you know, get my value. That same idea of like customers need to figure out what's going on. Like in the earlier days of say things like, UI5 and Fury, that was the same kind of thing in terms of you'd always be doing like, we need, we want to start with one thing and sort of understand what we're doing here and then sort of expand our footprint into the other processes that we look at. And, and with, with pay as you go kind of stuff like this, it lets you do that in other environments too, like, like, like Power Apps, because like, I don't want to have to buy the whole car dealership just to learn how to drive a car, right? So that's what this does. I mean, I'm really rich and I might eventually buy the dealership, but I have to figure out if I like cars first, right? So that's that's kind of where this takes you, I think. Yeah, and I mean, a a lot of the other licenses, you know, it's not that they were bad. I mean, they they definitely have their their value. It's it's giving another opportunity to to figure out, you know, what's the right size option for me and my company. And, and I think that's been the piece of this that's missing is, you know, you have two licenses previously that, you know, we're, we're right size for certain types of endeavors, but you know, if it's more of, I have no idea where this journey is headed, and I don't know how much I want to spend with and it. And you don't then, even have to commit one way or the other. If you have yeah. some people that have the license, then they just never get charged to use your app. And the yeah. ones that don't have the license do. So it's not like you have to choose one path or the other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, the customer wins here in a big yeah. way. Did you hear that, Satya Nadella? We say the <laughs> we say yay. So go ahead and go ahead and bump us on social media, like, share, subscribe, <laughs> Mister Nadella, and we'll go from there. So. <laughs> that, 
that's pretty good. So another another grab bag of a few things was the dynamics stuff. There's several tidbits of dynamics like getting announced going on, touching on on what went on here. Lori, do you mind speaking a little bit to some of the some of the dynamics things, maybe the SCM improvements, sure. maybe some bot integration. Like what's what, what as you look at that stuff in your lens of expertise, what kind of tickles your brain in all these things? Well, there's a few things actually. Yeah. The one thing that I noticed being reiterated again and again throughout all of the stuff that I read about Ignite was collaboration. That mm-hmm. collaboration and presence awareness and that kind of interactivity, even among developers, that's increasing everywhere. There's a, what did they call it? It's loop, Microsoft loop. And yeah. it seems like a very fancy, slick presentation of stuff that maybe you already have, but it's all together in one place. Yeah. And it's, I think, I thought that was very cool, which is sort of beside the point for dynamics. Um but it's integrated, so it's part but of that. Cool stuff is cool stuff. So cool stuff is whatever, cool stuff. Whatever is cool goes, as far as I'm concerned on this podcast, Laurie. So. <laughs> so what you had said about supply chain management, I thought that some of that was really cool in that they're trying, they're doing everything it seems that they can do to break down silos between different parts of an enterprise, mm-hmm. you know, between the planning and the manufacturing and the sales and all of that. They're trying to make all of that data available across all of those columns. Yeah, And that's actually where I think, I mean, all of this is headed is that the the data becomes more valuable when it's available to more people. Yeah. And, and it's I, that's kind of the that's kind of the ERP dream sort of generally yeah. speaking, right? But, you know, I mean, we all know in various paths that we've walked and taken through these things is that there's 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 nightmares in every dream. Right. <laughs> in, <laughs> in in the in realizing that kind of thing. And so, so the the SCM uh, improvements here kind of speak to yeah. That's still the dream, though, right? We still want that thing, yeah, for everyone, yeah. Well, and I think you know the, the story of ERP up to now, in a big way, has been I enter whatever transaction I need to enter, and then I turn around and really probably do the actual work that I need to do to get whatever the thing is done. Yes, you know, we're, we're using it as a multi-million dollar expensive system of record, you know, and it's, you know, it does a good job of moving documents around and things like that. But I think the thing about loop that's so interesting is, you know, to your point, Lori, just bringing the data to where people actually live and transact and do all the stuff that, you know, that, that I, I can't remember who said it at Microsoft, but, you know, there, there was a statistic they had where, you know, they estimate that, you know, all their companies, you know, from small, mid-sized businesses to large enterprise still run up to like 80% of their business processes on Excel and manual paper, you know, whatever, <laughs> kind of all the, the, all you others. Yeah. And that's where I think loop kind of maybe extends that reach a little bit. And says, it, you know, maybe maybe can... it will, that will be the tool that they reach for first instead of the spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that once the data is settled for want of a better word, but once everybody knows where everything is and can get to everything they need to get, then the process shines as opposed to the processes of data management. 
Yep. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Because bolstering Lori's point here, it very much feels like in the past it was, yeah, I'm typing here, but that's because I'm supposed to do it. And then I'm going to do my, do my real job. And it goes in the data bucket. And then 99 times out of 100, that's where it stops in terms of executing a job, right? And then half the time or less, I think, does anybody actually get like analytical value out of all of the dumping into the bucket that you do with ERPs? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, that, this is, yeah. That, that whole digital boardroom concept that, you know, I think has kind of been the holy grail for a lot of these yep. software vendors. You know, the, the, the elephant in the room, I feel like, is, is to your point, Paul, like the, not all the data is there. We, we like to right. think of our ERP systems yeah. as, you know, it's got everything in it and I can see my, my business at a glance at any time and slice it and dice it. And, you know, if all that data is just kind of lurking over here, then I've what, always, what, what are you getting? I've always kind of thought, because SAP used to, I don't know if they still do, they used to at half the conferences, there would be a physical digital boardroom, right, that you could go in and yeah. like, pretend to be CEO of something, right? And and I always thought to myself, you know, this for this to be a real thing somewhere, anywhere, an actually real thing, SAP needs to acquire some smaller business and just steamroll their stuff into every corner of that business, throw away everything else, disregard whether that business is still functional as a business. <laughs> and then there's the proof, right? Until, un, until and unless you did that, you don't have a digital boardroom. That is yeah. really like super cool and does all the, the the magic that you say it does. So next on our fantastic list, probably a brief one, but I think kind of an important one. So there's there's Azure communication services, right? Which includes things like, I think notification and SMS texting, and that's been in there for a little bit, but there's the announcement took the form of, okay, we can now plug more pieces of say the, the Teams side of things into communications services and kind of wrap more things under the umbrella. So James, James, do you have any thoughts on, on kind of what that means going forward for, for businesses that have a front end and a back end, right? Or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it just makes it so much more accessible, you know, and yeah. that's a big Microsoft theme of democratization. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, we've been around large implementations where they, you know, set up a, a call center and, and they do some, you know, sophisticated telephony integrations and things like that. But it's, I, I think it's somewhat limited to certain types of industries. And, you know, for, for kind of the all you others, you know, it's not that we haven't necessarily had tools to build those things, but mm-hmm. I think the perception has been, uh, that's that's a that's a little bit of a leap, you know. I, I don't know yeah. if I want to stitch together a solution that that you know connects to to some third party service to send these out, and you know <clears throat> what's the upcharge and how do these pieces fit together, and can't we just get away with email notifications? <laughs> and so, I to me, that's the you know the the thing that gets interesting here is that you start to look at this kind of in the aggregate of loop and you know everything that teams is continuing to evolve into and now you add in this you know basically telephony stack as a service yeah. <laughs> you know and and however you want to stitch that together it's just it's more tools in the toolbox yeah Lori, what does that have implications in the dynamics space too you think well or have you seen things terms- that could have used it <laughs> you know 
In terms of SMS, there's always there's always a need for that kind of communication, especially mm-hmm. in if you're using you know the the Dynamics portal or Power Apps portal, and you want mm-hmm. to send alerts out to those users. That's always a need within Dynamics itself. I mean, any kind of communication is going to be beneficial. And we just had a customer yesterday, as a matter of fact, reach out, and their utility company, and one of the things they're trying to fix right now is. Technicians get dispatched. It's a 30-minute drive. They find out very quickly that they don't need to go. And so we need to tell them to turn around <laughs> and come right. back right. and not waste an hour in the car or in the truck. Yeah. You know, and so like even simple things like that, this this could be definitely change change the whole game. Game changers. Yeah. Game changers all around. Changing yeah. the game of game changing. It's so <laughs> it's so incredible here. A couple things happened in logic apps too. Guys, Logic Apps, announcements there. What do you think about that stuff? I, I don't know. Logic Apps to me is, is such an interesting piece to, you know, the Azure integration suite puzzle, yeah. as it were, you know, because I mean, we've, I, I've done integration forever. And, you know, the early days of enterprise service buses and, and things like that, and even before message and middleware and EAI, they always had a certain flavor, right? It was a lot yeah. of A to A and B to B and, you know, point to point-ish kinds of things. And, you know, we might do some hub and spoke architectures, but, you know, it's never had this flavor of here's a, a platform that has all those things. We've got, you know, a plethora of connectors, some 500 plus, and you can, of course, create your own custom ones. We've got all the the familiar routing tools and things like that, but there's also this, you know, very mature platform for plugging in serverless imperative logic, basically. You know, if I want to punt some workloads over to Azure Functions and, you know, that serverless space and and do some some heavy-duty things or or hook into Azure Data Factory. And, you know, I I think when you, you start to look at these more complex hybrid landscapes that a lot of customers are landing on where I've got some stuff on premise, I've got some SaaS solutions, I've got data scattered hither <laughs> and yon. And you know, how do I connect all those dots? You know, a lot of these RESTful services aren't as structured. And so there's yeah. more yeah. You know, wrangling of data and, and things like that. You know, there's there's just a lot there and it continues to mature. And so you kind of have two different flavors of it with Power Automate being more the the citizen developer mm-hmm. flavor of it. And mm-hmm. then logic apps, which you know, for pro code developers, there's not much I can't do with it. Yeah. yeah, there's literally almost no limits to it. Yeah. the The piece I thought one of the pieces I thought was interesting. Have you, have either of you guys played with or heard about or worked with uh, Azure Arc? Mm-mm. I've seen it, but but not nothing beyond that. Yeah. The, it's- the piece I thought might be interesting there is that the that that Azure Arc piece now can include logic apps inside its its containerization of Azure services, right? So there's this interesting world where even if you let's say cut off cut off a warehouse, let's say from the internet, you might still have some logic app things maybe that are possible here because you've got containerized local logic app stuff kind of going on there, right? It's it's interesting and powerful, but I think also Azure Arc is still growing and maturing too. Is that uh, like an on-premise thing? It, you can have Azure put a big hug around your on-premises stuff too. 
So your on-premises stuff is still working, oh. but you can also, in, in one of the flavors of Arc is Azure Instrumentation Management now has its like telescope looking at your things, right? So some some like admin who might not know may not even realize that they're that they're managing a machine that's not in some data center, but that's sitting right beside them through the Azure portal and that kind of stuff. All right. So that's, there's, there's kind of, it's got this flavor of edge to it, although it's not the quite the same thing as edge, but it's got a flavor of edge computing to it. You know? Yeah. That, you know, I, I think that at least from a logic apps perspective is a pretty unique offering in the industry. Yeah. You know, yeah. there, there are a lot of vendors that have hopped into the, you know, enterprise integration platform as a service game, but a lot of the players there are some of the same players that, you know, we've known for years and years in the on-premise yeah. middleware space, but you know, they're, they're sort of, they have two feet in two different worlds, right? Yeah. You know, here's our on-premise system that we're probably not going to ever upgrade much anymore. We're going to keep yeah. the lights on and, and whatever. And then here's the, the shiny, you know, EI pass offering, but those are, Pretty much two completely separate yeah. projects yeah. or products, different uh, architectures, and not a lot of you know you're you're either in one or the other because yeah. you're, you're there, there's no compatibility there, and so it's an interesting play. Yeah, I think one one thing. So moving to the next thing here, guys. There's there was a, there was a huge thread throughout a lot of stuff in. Azure being the, I should say, Microsoft being the major, perhaps even sole licensee of OpenAI's GPT-3 AI model, natural language processing model. And it shows up in several places. It shows up in that loop tool that we talked about, where it will suggest like if you're if you're talking about something, it will suggest probable attachments that you might want to put into something smarter than just did you forget an attachment? It will literally suggest you probably want this thing, right? It will suggest possible collaborators or things like that in things. There's an Azure OpenAI service now in preview mode, and you can tell how awesome. And I'm just going to go on a rant here, guys. Buckle up. You can tell how awesome Microsoft thinks this is because if you go look at the OpenAI service. In in the, on the on the web stuff, there's surprisingly little fine grained detail on what it offers, but that I think is because the strength of what GPT three and beyond represents is such that let's just get there and see what we find. Right? It has it has ramifications for customers, partners, developers all over the place, and everyone who has kind of seen what kind of goes on there has been like, oh, I think that's awesome. I got to go try that. I was talking to a friend of mine just today over Messenger on, on LinkedIn, and he is working on GPT-3 tooling for SEO and marketing such that, well, I shouldn't say anymore, but he's working on it. I don't know why I even said that. I shouldn't have said that, but he's working on a tool <laughs> for that in that space. But let me, let me stop and go back a little bit because I'm getting, my mouth is getting ahead of my brain here. I'm too excited about this stuff. GPT-3 is a generative pre-trained transformer. So what that means is it's an it's a natural language processing tool. It was trained on over 500 billion characters of human written text and code 
and other things just yanked from the web and other sources and then trained over and over again on that stuff. And what happens is you give GPT-3 a prompt. You say something to it, small, large, whatever. The larger, the better. And GPT-3, statistically speaking, will look at all the characters of what you just typed and predict what's the next character that comes. And then with that character in place, what's the next one that comes? And with that character in place, what's the next one? Up to a certain number. It has it has a limited short-term memory, right? So it will eventually forget where it started. But with every generation of GPT-3, that memory gets longer and longer. So even in the GPT-2 world, when that came out, people published articles into the internet that fooled the majority of humans who read them that it was a human-written news article. The previous generation did that. There was a guy who got repeatedly got to the top of Hacker News over and over by writing like one-sentence prompts and having having GPT-3 just spit out a blog post for him. And he literally just posted that on his blog every day and then submit those blogs to Hacker News and got to the top like week after week. And (laughs) eventually one of the people who read Hacker News was like, this smells funny. And it kind of unraveled, right? But it took a long time and a lot of eyeballs to get it. I would estimate the chances are that all of us have read something GPT two or three generated and not known that it was that because if it's short, then chances are it remembers the whole thing and can create a pretty coherent thing. And if it's long, well, humans have limited memory too, right? (laughs) So the longer a piece is, the less likely I am to remember every detail that preceded and realize that the model made a mistake. Right and said that somebody died, but down below it said somebody else died or whatever. Right, that kind of thing. the The point here is that that is a level of natural language processing in AI that we have just simply never seen before, and it's not done. Right. So, so with with generation one, two, and three, and other tools like it, you can see like there's they're successively trained on more and more parameters. And then they have measures of how effective they are. And so far, it's not like a logarithmic kind of thing where the, the effectiveness kind of tails off with more and more parameters. It's one-to-one essentially, right? So if you the next, the next person to show up and train it with a trillion parameters will probably see a thing that's twice as effective as this thing. So, well, and, and who knows when that tails off, right? We don't know. Um, I'm surely somebody is already looking at it and they're probably ahead of what I'm saying here. But the, the point is, is so, so to wrap all that back up, Microsoft is an exclusive licensee of this technology from OpenAI and they are putting it into a ton of things. So if you guys have seen the demos for GitHub Copilot, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. All you do is you type, I want a function that turns an array backwards and multiplies every member by four in python um and well python it's a a list but you get the deal right and then the thing literally will spit out the code that does that thing like of course it's not perfect right sometimes you're like oh that's oh but 
it is surprisingly effective, kind of scary effective. I saw a demonstration where a guy did, he created a little game, an in-browser game where a little rocket ship like flies around and avoids asteroids. And all he did was say things like, I want a rocket ship. And it would put a rocket ship on the web screen. And he'd say, I want it to move around from left to right. And it would put in the put in all this right CSS and JavaScript magic to make it do that. And then it would say, I wanted there to be an asteroid on the screen too. And he just, he just told the computer the story of the game he wanted. And you could watch the web code appear and then get evaluated on the screen. And it, it made the thing. It literally made the thing. And so that's, that's called OpenAI Codex, which is a descendant of GPT-3, so trained more specifically on code. But even today, if you put code into GPT-3, I have access to the OpenAI API for it. It, will, it, it knows what code is. It knows. Knows is a weird word for it. But it, like if you say, if you start a function, it will probably finish that function in, a, in an interesting way. So all this to say is that Microsoft realizes the power here, but also hasn't fully realized all of the ways to inject that power into things. Like I haven't even tried the GitHub Copilot yet. I really want to, but I haven't tried it yet. But I, I mean, I was just literally writing C Sharp yesterday and I'm like, I'm relative, I've bounced back and forth in that world. So I always forget how to do X, Y, Z, whatever thing, right? If I just said, if I just typed into literally into the editor, I want to, I want a method that does X, Y, Z and it spit that out. And I knew that it was, oh yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. 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 How, how great is that? That saved me a Google and that saved me looking at Stack Overflow and like transforming it around. It just did it, you know? So that's yeah, crazy. no, I mean, that's it's amazing. It, it's hard to wrap your brain around, you know, cause uh, Unlike uh, you two cool kids, I was computer <laughs> science undergrad, so I was one of the nerds in the lab or whatever. But, you know, I mean, we, we studied the history of programming languages and, yeah. you know, Assembler and then, you know, 3GLs and C and, you know, some of those different languages. And like you saw a progression and, you know, I think it was Steve Jobs, you know, talking about computers being like the bicycles of the mind yeah. and, you know, different layers of abstraction, making it easier to get it to do the things that you want to do. But, you know... Yeah. It, and this probably has more to do with my feeble brain than anything, but like, I never saw things evolving towards, you know, what is, what's the next step beyond like a 4GL, <laughs> you know, like it is, is it something that, you know, has yet another layer of abstraction, but, but something that, you know, you think about your daily programming, like I know in my brain what I want it to do, but, you know, I got to go look up the the syntax of this function or, you know, all those little, and it's not big time, but it's two minutes. It, I got to find that. Yeah, it takes you those th- few minutes to do it. And I mean, you get to a point like a critical mass where you have most of those toys, but then all of a sudden you have to do some other programming yeah. paradigm and you're like, oh, I got to do this all over again. Yes. You know, I, if the goal really is like, I want to put my business intention into code as quickly as possible. You know, this is just a, a layer and, you know, I mean, not not to always bring it back to <laughs> you know, <laughs> Microsoft and Power Platform and, and those kinds of things. But, you know, what they're trying to do there with, you know, ins- instead of doing PowerFX, which is like, you know, the Excel formula kind of thing, just tell me what it is you're trying to do. You know, yeah. like you yeah. said, I want to I want to sort an array. I want to, you know, whatever. I mean, the syntax doesn't matter. And, and I think that's the... 
you know, yeah, it's, it's like it's the very... fact that you know what has to be done matters more That's than the you thing know that where yeah. the semicolon goes. <laughs> exactly. So, so guys, it's very exciting. It's, it's incredible. And I, I made us a gift. Okay. I made us a little present for this podcast. Since I said I, I have I have access to the, the open API GPG-3 tool. And so I created a poem for us in GPT-3. And I used E.E. E. Cummings to seed this poem for us. Okay, so there's a famous, there's a famous poem by E.E. E. Cummings called I Shall Imagine Life. And I used that poem to seed GPT-3 and tell me, write me more of this poem. So the original poem is this. I shall imagine life is not worth dying if and when roses complain their beauties are in vain. But... Though mankind persuades itself that every weed's a rose, roses, you feel certain, will only smile. Now, that's the E.E. E. Cummings poem. That's what I fed it. Okay? So now I'll do that last stanza, and then I'll go into what it gave me. And I was like, oh, wow. Hello. So, okay. So the last stanza is, but though mankind persuades itself that every weed's a rose, roses, you feel certain, will only smile to better days. And there are, you are sure, no better days to dream about. And there are, you are sure, no better days to bring about. And there are, you are sure, no better days to lie about. Isn't that, isn't that cool? The, that is like the computer cool. wrote the rest of that poem. I could have, I literally could post that on Twitter. And somebody be like, whoa, that's pretty deep, right? Or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, that's that, like, even just reading that, I'm literally, I literally read those words and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that stuff, right? I'm internalizing that thing, even though I know a 500 billion parameter transformation thing generated that out of, out of bits and bytes on silicon. Right. Yeah. That's 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 a little bit better than my ten year old James version of <laughs> Ode to My Goldfish. <laughs> and there are examples of all over the place. You can go like Google GP3 GPT3 poetry and you'll be amazed. But I decided I would want to make sure I wanted to do this for our podcast. Uh, so okay. Back to business though, because the last the last thing we want to do here for our listeners is this. We're going to read the tea leaves, okay? What do we think we'll see in Ignite this time next year? James, you're first. I'm going to give a vague answer here a little bit, and and I'm going to say I think more of the same, you know, just in terms of, you know, and obviously we we drink the Microsoft Kool-Aid around here, but just the the uniqueness of the the breadth and the depth uh, of what it is they're offering. You know, like... We can go down any rabbit hole of the things that we heard about it at Ignite this year and think, you know, that's really cool and really delve into it. But I think in many ways, the story is is, is in the aggregate of, yeah, mm-hmm. like I've got, you know, as a maker, as a nerd, <laughs> you know, like I, I just look at this, like I've never had tools like this at my disposal yeah. to build things and you know, in many ways, the biggest, you know, if you can call it a frustration point, it's just, it's dizzying, you know, like I, it's hard to kind of hone in and say, you know, 
when you talk to customers, like, well, you could do this and you could do this other thing over here. And like, you know, we could really, really make some, some amazing things. And, you know, obviously <laughs> some of these things have to be prioritized. Apparently people have to pay their bills and, and, and things like that. But to me, that, that is the, you know, and, and I, I'll, I'll take an action item here because I've heard a number and we'll put it in the show notes, but the R and D budget that Microsoft has been pouring into Azure power platform and dynamics is staggering. And I think this is, you're seeing it, you know, every year it's like, you know, even the people that have been in the Microsoft space for 30 years, like, you know, I yeah. can't keep up. How, how it, in the it's, world? Yeah. yeah. So we're going to, I'm going to put a guess out there. $30 trillion. Let's just say that. <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah, I'm going to go one dollar. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, do a little prices right play, here and prices you know. right. Play it safe. What's the over under on three trillion? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lori, what about you? Oh, I'm just gonna go on from where James left off. More integration, more collaboration, less building the tool to give the customer what they want more tools so that you start at a higher level and you can go further rather than, you know, spending your development time and budget on building the tool to do the thing. You've already got the tool and you can combine those tools to do more things now. And I think it's only just going to get more cool, more exciting. That's, that's, that really jives with kind of what I've been thinking too, because lately I've been thinking about in terms of these, these, low-code, no-code tools and IT teams that we've been talking to and talking about and talking with. I think I think IT is going to continue a shift from like app delivery to app platform delivery, right? So that such that like if you're if you work at a huge company, I think and I think I think Microsoft in some shape or form is is on this path here too is IT's job is not going to be necessarily cranking out apps. IT's job is going to be making sure that the platform works well enough that the techno-functional or business folks or whatever can create apps off the platform that they're providing to them, right? And so so all of these things, I think, kind of sing sing a similar tune into, into what all of us have kind of said about that stuff. It's going to, it's going to continue to evolve to be... There's every... Every year, the the what is easy and the what is hard move around a little bit, and I just think more of the what is hard is continues to shift into the easy column mm-hmm. and that continues to float up to like the end users rather than the nerds. Yeah, I, I think you know people talk a lot about the new Microsoft, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I can't remember exactly how they phrase it in their mission statement, but you know, it, there, there's always been that element of democratization of technology. Yeah. Going back to the very early days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the the culture around, you know, again, this this new Microsoft, I suppose, is it's amazing to see what happens when you take that pragmatic democratization concept and marry it up with, I think, the empathy component that Satya and his leadership team have brought into the mix. Yeah. Because these solutions have a a flavor of not just, you know, here's GPT-3 and it's amazing and, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's practical, pragmatic applications of technology, yep. you know, to Lori's point, the integration, just the things that, yeah. you know, you can tell that they're very 
thoughtful about, you know, we're not just putting endless services out into the the cloud universe and seeing what happens. You know, it there, really there is, is an ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, obviously that continues to evolve and the integration becomes tighter and, you know, they're, they're figuring some of this out. I think just like everyone is, I mean, like it's kind of crazy to think, you know, roughly 10 years ago, you know, you just started hearing about this AWS thing, you know, like what is that about? And it's moved incredibly fast. And yeah, it's, it's been a, a pretty interesting conference for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our take on this stuff. Lori, thank you so much for for dropping perspective, for dropping knowledge, for bringing a theatrical presence <laughs> to our stuffy nerdings. Um, thank you for having me. It was it was wonderful to talk to you. I mean, it always is because P.S. Lori and I are coworkers and James <laughs> as well. But still, lovely to see your face and have, hear your voice on here. And audience, I, I must apologize. There was going to be an amazing one-act play, but I kept reading my name in the script and the lines, and I just <laughs> threw the whole thing off. Next time. <laughs> James takes the counter from the... No, James, you say that part. <laughs> Exit. Pursued by Bear. Pursued by Bear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they wrote me out in like the first, first half of the little playlet. <laughs> well, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.